Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for being with us and letting us be part of your day. We are wrapping up the week with a busy, busy Friday. Lots of news we're going to be talking about today. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report will be joining us to go over some of that. Dennis Toddy, USDA Midwest Climate Hub Director, will join us. We'll talk about harvest weather patterns shaping up. We have a lot to go over with uh, Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist. We'll talk about the biofuels announcements this week. we got CFAP 2.0 to talk about. Lots going on. And we're going to get a harvest update from St. Joe, Missouri. Gene Millard will be joining us to talk about early harvest results in that area. So lots going on. Let's kick it off with Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, good to talk with you again. We've been waiting for a while now for details on CFAP 2.0 and they came uh, the early announcement came from President Trump campaigning uh, in Wisconsin and now we have some more details coming from USDA looks like they're going to include some more commodities that they did not include in CFAP 1.0 well that's right Uh, I'm just trying to digest that uh, information at the present time uh, and uh, they're, uh, they've got these new terms out here. They're going to have three categories of commodities, price trigger commodities, flat rate crops, and sales commodities. So uh, it looks like it will be a more complicated, um, uh, a more complicated program than the, than the previous ones. And maybe they can get around some of the criticism that they were that that they were you know favoring southern crops over uh, over those in other uh, in other places, uh, and uh, uh, so we're just going to have to see it. I have to say that some of the biggest news in Washington this morning is that Steve Sensky, the deputy secretary, is leaving to go back to the American Soybean Association. That just came out in the last few minutes, and and uh, that's pretty big news too. Yeah, long-time ASA CEO. He's going back to that post and uh, leaving the number two position at USDA. Of course, uh, Brian Finley was recently let go as a CEO at the American Soybean Association. So uh, Steve Sinsky goes back to his former spot. Back to CFAP 2.0. Payments for the first time will include goats, bison, mohair, tobacco, hemp, mink, and three classes of wheat, soft red winter, hard red winter, and white. Uh, coming up on Monday, we're going to talk with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce, and we'll have details and go over all this with CFAP 2.0. Now, also making quite a bit of news in the biofuels world, of course, was the announcement that EPA is going to deny those gap year waivers, and also the President's announcement of uh, allowing E15 to be distributed through E10 pumps. But now... Uh, he's talking about perhaps USDA money going to oil refiners. I'm sure that's getting a lot of uh, attention and getting a lot of reaction. Well, it certainly is, especially from the Democrats and especially in Iowa. Uh, uh, former Secretary uh, Tom Vilsack said that you know if he if he uses USDA money 
to uh, aid the oil companies, that's just an outrage. Uh, and so did Senator uh, Debbie Stabenow, the ranking member on Senate Agriculture yesterday. Uh, so we're just going to have to see what uh, what happens with that. Uh, USDA has been silent about it, so we really don't know. This gets down to the fact that that President Trump is trying to satisfy both the farmers and the oil industry, particularly the oil industry workers uh, in Pennsylvania and in Texas. And, you know, that's almost impossible to do. Uh, he's, he's been trying throughout his administration to satisfy both. And um, it's, you know, it's been a conflict for decades. And so uh, the, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next few weeks. Well, you're right. He has tried throughout his uh, term, first term uh, here the last few years, to try to get both sides, uh, you know, something that they want and try to appease both sides. And it's left both sides unhappy. And now that that continues to be an issue that will could impact whether or not he has a second term or not. Uh, it, cer- it certainly can. Uh, the race in Iowa is very uh, is very tight. Uh, in general, I would say pol- political analysts believe that uh, you know ethanol has always done as well as it has uh, in terms of public policy because of Iowa and the fact that there's a concentration there of farmers, while the oil industry is spread out among number of states and. Uh, it, you know, it's it's kind of a minor issue in those states compared with everything else. Uh, uh, so, so it doesn't have the same electoral impact as the votes of the farmers in uh, in Iowa. Now, Senator Grassley told me he thought that you know denying these uh, gap year waivers, as they called them, was all Trump needed to do. He's reassured the farmers, but the uh, ethanol groups. Uh, want more you know they want they want the denial of these petitions from 2019 from the oil companies uh they'd like the volumetric requirements established for next year and the administration hasn't done those things yet and of course if this really comes true that they're going to use give money to the oil companies that's going to really infuriate the uh the uh ethanol groups and the leaders and and probably the farmers too yeah, when I first heard about this, I thought, well, okay, once the the gap year waiver rejection was in place, uh, you know, I thought, well, okay, you know, they won't agree with it, but if 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 the administration gives money to the oil industry, so be it. Wouldn't think it was fair, but uh, because they feel they've already gotten those a lot of breaks. But now that the money it comes out that that money's coming from could come from USDA funds, which would have impact uh, possible money that would go to uh, farmers for other things. Well, that that changes that narrative quite a bit. Right. It's yeah. It's it's like a poke. Uh, it's like a poke in the eye. Um, uh, and you know, USDA has not denied it. I mean, they haven't said they're doing it, but they haven't uh, they haven't denied it. So we just have to, you know, see what happens in the next few days. Senator Stabenow said she's going to do everything in her power to stop it, but you know, it's very hard to stop uh, the Agriculture Department with its with its authorities, and and so we just, as I said, I keep saying we just have to wait and see what happens here. Yeah, that's a developing story that we will keep a close watch on. All right, Jerry, busy Friday, busy end of the week. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Always good to talk to you. Take care. Jerry Hagstrom with 
the Haxton Report. So quite a bit going on there. Will uh, USDA give money to the oil industry? We'll be watching that closely. Uh, USDA Deputy Ag Secretary Steve Sinsky going back to become uh, CEO of the American Soybean Association position he held for many many years just uh, a lot happening here and of course uh, the announcement of CFAP 2.0 we'll talk more about those issues later with University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin but up next developing weather patterns for this harvest season we're going to talk with Dennis Toddy director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. You don't take a winter break. Unfortunately, neither do insects or diseases. Trust BASF Cereal Seed Treatments to protect your winter wheat this season. This team of products provides a base of broad-spectrum disease control with stamina F4 cereals fungicide seed treatment, an added performance boost with new Relania seed treatment, and rounded out with Poncho XC seed treatment, pest protection. To learn more, contact your BASF rep or local retailer. BASF, we create chemistry. Always read and follow label directions. Peak performance at harvest is a necessity. It's our expertise. Producers who look to have a successful harvest turn to FS. Our grain systems experts reduce downtime by offering the latest products, innovations, and knowledge to your grain operation. Whether you need a part in a hurry or advice on your equipment, we'll keep you running. At FS, we're always looking for ways to optimize your grain system and ensure during harvest your operation is ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, we have the latest beef and pork export numbers, and here with those numbers and some uh, analysis of them is Aaron Bohr, economist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. All right, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Uh, how do the uh, latest numbers look? Thanks, Mike. Uh, I would say continued improvement. This year we look at month on month change, which is not typical. We usually look year on year, but given obvious uh, crazy circumstances, we look back month on month for beef up 36% compared to June and pork up 7% compared to June, which pork never decreased as hard as beef. So that's part of that difference. And so an encouraging sign, although still below year ago levels for beef and dipping below year ago for pork. So clearly challenges, but improving trends and the weekly data through August showed that that continued and especially for beef. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to phoenix our job is to unlock those jobs and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local goodwill here's how we do it when you donate to goodwill we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community so just by teaming up with goodwill you help create jobs and isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk harvest weather with the director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, Dennis Toddy. Dennis, thanks for joining us again. What is the uh, big weather pattern developing in the Midwest for this harvest season, at least the start of it? Well, um, it's kind of a good news, bad news situation. Uh, The good news is, especially if you like being outside and having good harvest weather, we're seeing it right now. Uh, Very moderate temperatures, actually going to get a little bit warm again next week. Uh, for, for the most part, limited precipitation across much of the Midwest and, and, the, and uh, the Northern Plains. So the places that are ready for harvest are going to be able to get started, especially those places where we have some, some downed crops that are going to take a while to get out of there. If we're going to have lots of opportunity to make progress on those. So it, it really is a good situation for, for them to get started Downside are the places that we still have you know, some ongoing drought issues. Yesterday's U.S. drought monitor, you know, we still have some pockets across the eastern Corn Belt, and then Iowa and parts of the western Corn Belt still have some fairly good soil moisture deficits we have to start cutting into. And this is not going to allow, you know, the lack of precipitation is not going to start to cut into those. So it, it, it may be a good situation for harvest if we can get some more precipitation later after after most of harvest is done. It's that short-term, long-term situation, of course. Uh, yeah, you enjoy the dry weather now to harvest, but uh, you're also concerned about that growing uh, dry pattern that's been there. All right, you have been talking to us and telling us, watching that La Nina uh, formation. What's the latest there, and and what does that mean? Okay, uh, if you if you listen to what NOAA talks about, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Climate Prediction Center um, came out with their new outlooks yesterday. Uh, they have raised the flag to La Nina advisory, and basically that means they are confident enough that we will have a La Nina uh, in the, the starting sometime this late fall into winter. Uh, that will last somewhere into winter, possibly early spring, depending on how long it goes. Um, what that means for us uh, is re- very much reflected in the, the longer-range outlooks. Remember, when we're talking La Nina, we're talking about some changes in the sea surface temperatures in the Pacific. Um, what that does for us in the wintertime is across the southern U.S. tends to be drier, drier than average, uh, and that is reflected in the, in the outlooks in the winter, you know, from the desert southwest into the southeastern U.S., though the southeastern U.S. Um, is, is likely not going to be as dry starting off because of tropical systems. Um, across the northern U.S., uh, especially the northern plains, there's a slight chance of, of some cooler-than-average temperatures. And then the northern plains over to the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley has some slightly increased chances for precipitation uh, during the winter. Uh, it looks like Right now, uh, again, we talked about harvest season being dry. It looks like that's a, a fairly likely outcome that the, the harvest season is going to stay fairly dry 
And then November, December, it starts to flip over to where we have uh, slightly increased chances for, for precipitation. It doesn't say what type that is, but it could be a more active winter in that area. Hmm. This most recent storm in the Gulf, uh, the hurricane, all that flooding down in that area uh, did not seem to pump uh, moisture up into the Midwest. Really did not. Uh, you know, the, the, the pattern we've had is that we've had more... Uh, We've had a big, a bigger ridge of high pressure parked off the, the, you know, the causing the heat out west. We've had more Canadian air coming in that is drier, and then the the moisture coming in really, you know, came on shore and then made a fairly quick right turn and has been working its way up the east coast uh, in the mid Atlantic right now. So, yeah, it helped out some of the a few of the dry areas over there, but. Uh, for you know, for any place in the Midwest, Midwestern ag, it's a non-starter. And it looks like there's another system in the in the Gulf right now that's going to kind of wander and kind of wander its way up. At this point, we don't have indication that it's going to bring much moisture to the region either. Yeah, that was another good news, bad news situation. That right turn kind of saves damage on the uh, river system, the port system, but it uh, may have kept some of that moisture from coming up into the Midwest. We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right, let's talk temperatures. We've had some uh, pretty cool temperatures, but they've not uh, lasted. Kind of there was a bounce back. Uh, what are you seeing here these next uh, uh, couple weeks? Uh, you're right. You know, we had some cold temperatures in, in North Dakota and parts of South Dakota that May have done some crop damage, showed up in, in the in the NAS reports this week. Uh, had some colder air the last couple of days that has moved in across uh, northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. Uh, a little bit ahead, but not too far ahead of average. Uh, you know, right now it looks like we're going to stay, uh, you know, I mentioned Hades and in, in parts of the area, relatively warm for this time of year. Uh, with these dry conditions, allows you to warm up fairly easily during the daytime, but then cools down at night. Don't see anything coming in the way of freeze um, for maybe until the first of the month, maybe the next chance uh, we would have some colder air coming in because uh, the you know, current outlooks keep us uh, pretty strongly on the warmer than average side over most of the region here. So overall, it looks like, at least here at the beginning, it's going to be pretty favorable conditions for getting harvesting done. I really, I really think that's going to be the case. I think things will, uh, you know, for places that are ready to go, and we've got some places that have started, uh, you know, looking through the crop maturities, uh, you know, corn's probably over half mature right now. And in places where, like Iowa, where we've had some droughty or derecho conditions, uh, People are, it's actually starting to dry down a little too fast for them, and maybe some of the other droughty areas are going to be moving along a little quicker. Soybeans, same kind of thing. We've, we've got a few places that are driving out pretty quickly. Uh, with these dry conditions and warm temperatures, I would expect the rest of things to move along quite readily. And depending on how long people want to let them sit and dry in the, in the field, I, I think harvest should be able to move along quite steadily. You know, and like some previous years where we've been delayed and then we've had some rain, you've been trying to fit, fit, hit, hitting around. I think you're more likely this year going to be able to pick your time and wait for what you want to have and then be able to move along rather than working with the weather to take a shot when you have an opportunity. Okay, so we have these uh, predictions of a, of a really bad winter coming up. So do we maybe get some of that moisture this winter? 
Um, okay, let's back up. I didn't say bad winter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said there are some predictions out there, like you know, saying it's going to be a bad, bad mean kind of whatever you call bad, but a harsh, cold, lot of snow, that type of thing. There, there are some opportunities that could be, you know, a little more active and a little bit colder. Yes, so, so won't argue that. Uh, really, then depends on, you know, what, how, when the freeze up comes, and, and what your situation is. Fortunately, you know, the, the most of the driest soils are not farther north where we freeze up more quickly. Uh, they're a little further south where we have a little better opportunity to get moisture in the soils, and we still have time next spring to, uh, after, after the frost goes out, but. You know, uh, the soil moisture profiles, and there's even a researcher at Iowa State has, has done some modeling and said, you know, like in western Iowa and eastern Nebraska, uh, the rains that did fall, you know, worked on, on the surface, and, and the, the wetting of the surface still has been good. Cover crops, um, you know, starting that soil moisture recharge, getting a little bit of water flowing in streams again, that part's been good. It's just that deeper profile that we, we have to we have to get water back in that profile. And you think about where we were a year ago, you know, we were wet and the, the profile was wet all the way down. We were concerned about the, the, the fall wetness and getting into this spring, how quickly we've changed to, you know, some very deep profiles being, being very dry now and saying, hey, we need to get some moisture back in the soil. Yeah, it can change in a hurry. I always get a little nervous when you go into a winter on the dry note and you're counting on snow a lot of snow to make up that deficit that 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 never sounds too good to me uh, from both uh you know the how much snow you need to get to get that much moisture and then just what that means for getting around so uh hopefully it won't be that's what i would call a bad winter where, where we're under snow all deep snow all the time yes yes you know and there are other issues with with, with those winters too is if uh, you know, we used to have problems in the Dakotas where, uh, you know, if you have, uh, you have some surface moisture and then you have snow, things don't freeze mm-hmm. up well. So you have producers, especially with livestock, trying to deal with livestock and you've got a muddy mess you're dealing with rather than at least freezing solid. You know, and I guess that could be an advantage of some of the dry soils if they do freeze solid enough. Um, livestock folks have a little bit cleaner area to work with. And we'll soon find out uh, how it all plays out. But thanks, Dennis, for the update uh, as we kick off harvest. Thank you. Happy to do it. You guys take care. Take care. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Up next, we talk ag issues with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. You don't take a winter break. Unfortunately, neither do insects or diseases. Trust BASF Cereal Seed Treatments to protect your winter wheat this season. This team of products provides a base of broad-spectrum disease control with Stamina F4 Cereals Fungicide Seed Treatment, an added performance boost with new Relania Seed Treatment, and rounded out with Poncho XC Seed Treatment Pest Protection. To learn more, contact your BASF rep or local retailer. BASF. We create chemistry. Always read and follow label directions. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. 
If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean futures, which closed at an over two-year high yesterday, trending higher in the overnight trade, off the best levels in the early day trade, but still in positive territory. Chinese vegetable oil markets have been moving higher on reports of consumer demand with China actively booking future palm oil imports. An export sale of grains over 100,000 metric tons to China being announced every day this week. On this Friday, USDA announcing 132,000 tons of soybeans sold to China, 210,000 tons of corn being sold to China. Today's hog slaughter estimated at 482,000 head, steady with a week ago. Cattle slaughter, 117,000 head, down 2,000 from a week ago. An hour into the trading day, November soybeans up 8 cents at 10.36 and a half. January up 9 at 10.40 and a quarter. In corn, December up 2 and a quarter at 3.77 and a half. March up 2 and a quarter at 3.86 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat December up 4 and 3 quarters at 5.46 and a quarter. Chicago wheat December up 6 and a half at 5.62 and 3 quarters. Kansas City wheat December up 8 and 3 quarters at 4.96 and a quarter. Live cattle futures December contract up 17 at 111.50. February up 22 at $116 per hundredweight. Feeder cattle October up 67 at 142.12. November up 52 at 142.72. Lean hog futures October up 72, 67.25. On Wall Street, the Dow up 31 points. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. It is a busy news day. Lots to talk about with our next guest, University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Scott, thank you for being with us. Well, first of all, your thoughts, uh, your reaction to the uh, news on CFAP 2.0. More commodities will be included in this second round. 
Uh, my reaction is, well, uh, spread the love around, uh, Mike, <laughs> seems to be the, uh, the motto. And uh, these are going to be um, probably uh, end up being larger payments and more significant than the first round because of issues of getting the money out based on inventory from the first round. So these are going to be some, looks like, pretty significant payments uh, to a, a long list of commodity producers here in the U.S. I have heard stories of farmers that were told they weren't eligible for, for the first round of CFAP because they had marketed and they feel like they were penalized for marketing their crop, and they wound up probably getting less than those that waited and, and wind up getting uh, the CFAP money. That is definitely could be the case. Uh, the argument would be, though, however, if they marketed, uh, they didn't experience the price drop due to COVID. So there's there's two sides to that. So as so we you watch be able to it, do a good job of marketing and get the payment. I guess is the question. Yeah, yeah. I, so as we watch how this round goes, it, it's going to be interesting because it looks like they're going to be using kind of the same formula, aren't they? But just more commodities. Uh, no, the formula is going to be quite different. As I understand the early reporting, it will be based on the fundamentally your 2020 planted acreage. Oh, okay. All right. So again, I have not seen actual USDA uh, guidelines on this; just just reporting, and so uh, everything's obviously provisional at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. We will have the FSA administrator Richard Fordyce on with us on Monday to uh, go over this. Uh, but under the first round, commodities that qualified for payments were if their price had fallen by at least five percent for a specified mm -hmm. time period. Under CFAP 2, the reporting is the 5% price decline will continue to be one of three methods used to determine eligibility. So, right. uh, so we'll see how this plays out, but there are going to be some questions. We'll have questions for the FSA administrator coming up on Monday. All right, so now, though, this is what I was going to talk with you about originally. We had the good news for the biofuels industry, the decision uh, to deny those gap year waivers. But now there's more and more talk of USDA money going to the oil industry, and this is creating quite a stir. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, as we you, you see the Internet meme that uh, 2020 couldn't get any weirder. Uh, mm -hmm. Then you see reports that potentially CCC uh, funds could be directed towards the crude oil industry, uh, although I would say this, you know, on principle, that obviously is a problem. But from the ag perspective is if you have to give up $300 million, which is what's being talked about of CCC funds, for, as the payoff, in essence, for the uh, denial of the gap SREs and uh basically the shutdown of the whole SRE game, that seems like a pretty low price to me. Yeah, I think the optics of it, the uh, the idea that USDA is helping fund the oil industry in some way, that's what's going to get people pretty upset. Because my first thought was when I started hearing about money going to the oil industry, I thought, well, the ethanol industry, they – 
they got those gap year waivers rejected. That was the main thing. So they may not like the idea of the oil industry getting more money, but, uh, you know, at least they got what they were looking for. But then when it came out that it would be through the USDA, through CCC funds, well, that kind of opens up a new can of worms because then the question will come, well, could that money have been used in other ways to assist farmers, to assist agriculture? Right, and then probably the real problem is the potential precedent that that opens up of the CCC and USDA just being bombarded with uh, if you can give money to the crude oil industry as a matter of principle, well, then you should be able to give it to anybody. Yeah. And that's become a bigger, bigger focus, if, especially if there's another COVID aid package. And we're waiting to see if that happens because more of this money seems to just go to USDA discretion. And then that that puts the uh, puts USDA Secretary Purdue right in the crosshairs for criticism on these decisions. Exactly. I suspect the USDA wants no part of this because of that exactly that issue. And given how this has blown up, and as you say, the, the op- optics are really bad, particularly in an election year, I suspect that that's an idea that might uh, quietly disappear. Yeah, we're talking with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. So back to the, the decision to reject those gap year waiver requests. What do you see as the significance of that, especially if it means that's how USD, uh, how EPA is going to handle current and future requests? It's undoubtedly a major victory for the ag and biofuels side of the uh, RFS battles. Uh, and uh, I think some are not even fully appreciating the full dimensions of that victory Again, this assumes two things, that the EPA will follow through and apply this uh, logic on the SREs from this decision and and a Tenth Circuit Court decision nationwide, and that we're going to, that'll be a template for rejecting all but a handful of SREs going forward. That's, That's the assumption that I'm making, and that's why I state that this is such a big victory. Yeah. But it hinges on that, right? If they don't carry that through to future decisions, then while while it helps to get, you know, to address those uh, waiver gap year waiver requests, you'd still have the same problem unless this changes uh, how they're going to go about it. Well, and that's the thing. If you dig into the details, that uh, boy, you would be really setting yourself up for legal trouble if you make these kinds of decisions. Uh, based on the arguments that they did and the court decision that's sitting out there, and then you, you know, completely reversed yourself at some future date. You know, it's not saying it couldn't happen, but that would be even more blatant than some of the contradictions we've seen in EPA policy in the past. So I really think that the odds of that are low happening. I think this is the point where the SRE program is essentially throttled back to its original goals. Hmm. Well, that would be welcome news indeed for the biofuels industry. We're talking with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. All right, Scott, uh, your thoughts on these early export numbers in the marketing year? Pretty good. (laughs) I mean, they're just pretty amazing, aren't they? Especially for corn. Uh, You know, rightfully so, the soybean numbers get uh, a lot of attention, and we've seen an incredible rally in uh, soybean prices that's very counter-seasonal. Uh, 
but what's really caught my attention is the corn exports uh, to China. You know, they're literally just off the charts compared to anything in the last 20 years. Yeah, kind of the timing's kind of amazing. You got these strong exports at a time when uh, more aid, uh, you know, another aid package is being announced. Right. You know, again, uh, probably that won't seep into the general uh, consensus or, or perception, but, it, you know, the market returns to ag have seen, or I should say corn and soybeans, have seen quite a remarkable turnaround in the last six mm-hmm. weeks. It, it's been amazing how it's turned around. Now, do we look at it, they're still, say China, for instance, they're still behind as far as trying to get those uh, phase one levels, those commitments met, but or do we look at it, hey, we're off to a great start in this marketing year and uh, maybe even better than expected. So I guess, are you looking at it half empty or half full here? That's a a great question because that I think is the big question in the market right now. Uh, is this China just trying to race to catch up uh, with kind of late buying in the in 2020 to get off to uh, to have a perception in the Trump administration that we're making progress? Or is this a precursor of even bigger things to come? Mm-hmm. That's the real question. And, and I honestly don't know the answer to that. I mean, if you if you go back if in July and said, we're going to have the prospects of a huge crop, a market rally going into the harvest of that crop, that would have been a, we just couldn't have put our minds around that back in July. And now here we are, we're seeing it happen. You know, the way I like to think about it is, you know, there was a lot of talk of the possibility at harvest of the new crop December 2020 corn futures contract going below $3. I mean, we were flirting with 310, 320. Uh, that would, with a big crop, that would not have been, um, you know, I, I think that that really could have happened. But, you know, now uh, we're 23 cents below $4. Just shows if you're in the prediction business, good luck, right? I mean, because things things can change quickly. Uh, absolutely, uh, and I certainly I really got the soybean market wrong in the last uh, six weeks my, myself. I uh, this is uh, the opposite of where I thought the soybean market was going to go. So, yep, if you're in in the market outlook game, uh, humility is the is the watchword. Yeah, good to talk with you, Scott. Thanks a lot. Uh, always a pleasure. University of Illinois Ag Economist Scott Irwin. Wow, there's a lot going on. Uh, well, harvest is getting underway as well. We're going to get a harvest report from uh, St. Joseph, Missouri. Gene Miller joins us next with some early results. Stay with us here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, 
publicity and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz. 1000 bucks. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. You don't take a winter break. Unfortunately, neither do insects or diseases. Trust BASF Cereal Seed Treatments to protect your winter wheat this season. This team of products provides a base of broad-spectrum disease control with stamina F4 cereals fungicide seed treatment, an added performance boost with new Relania seed treatment, and rounded out with Poncho XC seed treatment, pest protection. To learn more, contact your BASF rep or local retailer. BASF, we create chemistry. Always read and follow label directions. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Mike Steenhook, who is executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, uh, this week there was a ceremony kicking off the construction of barge loading and unloading terminal along the Missouri River. Tell us about the significance of this new terminal that will be built. This past Wednesday, there was a groundbreaking in the, the small town of Blen. Iowa. They had a groundbreaking for a new barge loading and unloading facility 
uh, along the Missouri River. They have an intention of of loading some degree of soybean for the export market from that facility yet this November, December. You know, clearly the construction progress will take a while, so it'll things will occur in waves and in increments. But you know, the, the plan is to is to be engaged in international marketing for this farmer-owned cooperative by shipping on the, the Missouri River. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Harvest underway in the St. Joe, Missouri area. Gene Miller joins us now. Gene, thanks for joining us. Uh, how's it going here early on? Hi, Mike. Well, it's, uh, you know, got off to about a normal start date. I look back in our records, and, and normally about the 15th of September, we can find some place to start uh, running a little bit, and so that's about what happened this year. The uh, weather conditions this spring were, uh, well, a little bit damp on the early start in April to get corn planted, but we got it all planted in, in April. But May was very cold and then turned off hot in June, wet in July, and dry in August. And a lot of those things are just exactly the opposite of a normal for this part of the world. But all in all, we're not going to complain too much. I think the August uh, dryness probably you know shortened up the bean crop a little bit. The pods are there, but I don't see the big fat pods that I would normally see when we have a wet August. So we can't tell on beans until we get a combine field, and that'll be another couple of weeks. Corn, though, pretty good. Uh, most of uh, the fields, I think, are going to be above our APH and well above average. Uh, there's, you know, obviously some differences in terms of, of when it was planted, what the ground conditions were like. And probably the more critical factor is the uh, application of a split-rate nitrogen. And the nitrogen applied uh, really pretty late, you know, just as about as late as you could get over the field with a spreader, uh, definitely paid off. I mean, there was probably a 30-40 bushel yield bump uh, with that application because we had some fields with and some without, just to kind of give us a double check. and. At any rate, it's, it's turning out pretty good. I think that we're not as good as uh, Ken McCauley's country over in uh, you know, White Cloud, Kansas, but we're not going to complain for our part of the world. What about your moisture levels? Moisture is still a little bit on the wet side. We, when we started uh, on some of our earliest maturity, which are like 109-day hybrids uh, for this area, and you know it's running around 21 to 22% uh, moisture. Uh, one field uh, with the with the you know last one I guess we were in there the day before yesterday was down to 21, but that, that's still a little too wet for us uh, because of limitation of drying capacity. There was a, obviously a big price differential between if you get get it delivered today versus next Monday it was like 30 cent difference in basis. So you know there's a lot of guys trying to get something you know hauled in. Uh, take advantage of this little bump that's uh, happened here in the corn market. But the corn market is still laying there dead compared to what the soybeans have been doing. 
Yeah, that soybean market makes you want to get to those beans as soon as you can, probably. Well, it does, but it makes you scratch your head because their analyst was wrong in terms of projecting what was going to happen. You know, the winner this year was somebody that didn't have a marketing plan, just sat on their hands, you know, didn't do anything. But, you know, we've had a history of trying to do a little bit of something uh, starting, you know, in late July, August, when we can kind of see what, what prospects are and what our storage capacity is and so forth. And so we started, uh, you know, doing some, uh, you know, uh, little little foot in the water, you know, edging up, you know, partial uh, sales at a time, incremental sales, I should say. And uh, obviously, we're still about seventy-five cents under what we could get currently because of the gigantic jump here in just ten days. Yeah, I mentioned this uh, earlier in the program. Who would have thought back in July that the best strategy would have been? Because at that time we were thinking, you know, maybe record crop. Who would have ever thought that uh, the best strategy would be wait and har- and market at harvest time? That did not seem like a good strategy, uh, you know, a couple months ago. No, no, I don't think any of the analysts would have predicted to uh, just do nothing, just do nothing. No, they all had some kind of a hedge strategy, puts, calls, cash sales, calls, uh, and that probably was uh, the most prudent thing. But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty when it comes to marketing. Yep. And anybody that thinks they've got it 100% figured out haven't been in the game very long. So your early corn yields are uh, pretty good. Do you, have you got to your what you think will be your best corn yet? No, I don't think we've got to our best corn yet. I think that's still to come. And so we're kind of anxiously waiting for it to dry down a little bit more. Uh, so we can get into some of the more full-season hybrids that we have in this area, because they're still standing really good. What we really noticed is that in one field that we went ahead and shelled was it was the refuge corn, uh, you know, adjacent to the the uh, GMO, and it was starting to break over. Obviously, corn borer was there, and I think that's what cut that yield back into the 160s, 170, and yet uh, right next to it, we pulled in the same hybrid that uh, was uh, you know had the BT gene, it was standing perfectly, and yield was so much better. So it shows you that genetic technology does pay. Yeah, how about uh, your stock quality? Did you have much disease this year? Uh, not really. Uh, I we didn't notice much anyway because it was dry in August, and uh, that's normally when you really see the disease show up in corn. And I know there was some fungicides being applied, but you know, with $3 corn at that time, uh, it just didn't look very economically advantaged to, to do it, uh, in this area at least. And the hybrids that were got narrowed down as the best fit have a pretty high level of tolerance and resistance. So uh, we didn't apply any fungicides this year. We know we did have some neighbors that did. I'm not sure what the results of that will be yet. All right, Gene. Uh, glad to hear you're off and running. We'll check back in with you oh, a couple weeks, and uh, when you have some good numbers to uh, talk about, con- some comparisons, we'll see how it's going. Really anxious to hear how those beans turn out as well. So we'll we'll stay in touch. Okay. Okay. Okay, Mike. Thanks for the call. 
Always good to talk with you. Thanks, Gene. Gene Miller, he farms in the St. Joe, Missouri area. They're just getting underway with harvest there. All right, that's going to wrap it up for a busy Friday, a busy week. We'll have lots to talk about on Monday with FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. Also next week, National Farm Safety Week. We urge all of you, be careful. Let's have a safe harvest season, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. AOA.